0: Welcome to Bulls Gold on Nothing But Net Radio, part of Dash Radio and 1252 Sports Entertainment. We have a very special guest on with us today, uh, senior writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Herring. He covers the NBA in general, and uh, we're really happy to have him today. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thank you for that uh, wonderful introduction. I appreciate you having me. I'm doing well.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, man. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely the NBA playoffs are happening and there's a lot of originally there was a lot of talk, maybe more so on the national level, a little bit of negativity as far as all they there's not going to be the Lakers. Uh, you know, there's not going to be potential a New York team that's going to be in the NBA finals. But I think we've seen teams like Utah, the Suns, uh, we, we, we've seen in the East, like Philly, uh, Atlanta uh, with Trey Young, all these teams that are, you know, putting up a good show and making a very exciting. Um, I think there's a lot to talk about that as well. So what have you seen so far that's really like stood out to you in the NBA playoffs and something maybe that you maybe didn't even expect to see this, this, uh, thus far. So it's
2: weird. I, I, I tweeted this the other day. Um, I'm enjoying the playoffs while also not enjoying them. Um, I feel like we've had a couple games that have been tight. I know the last uh, Bucks nets game was tight. And the first game, obviously, uh, Clippers-Utah was tight. Um, but what's been weird, more often than not, with almost all of these games, the games are tight through two quarters, and then it's broken open in the third. And it's like broken open to the tune of like 20 points or 25 points in the third. Or, you know, by the start of the fourth. So it's been weird that like the end of the games aren't competitive in a lot of cases, which kind of feels fitting because the season like people have asked me, are you enjoying the season? How great has the season been? It's like it really hasn't been a great season. Um, it's I don't know I don't remember anymore like what my expectations for the season were. I remember being a little bit frustrated that the season was happening so quickly after the last season ended. Yeah, where there were only two months there. Um, I've got. A whole, you know, my whole book manuscript sitting here on my desk, I had, you know, I had a book to finish. And so I wanted more time to do that. Um, I guess there was a gap certainly last year with regards to there not being any sports and there not being any basketball. But I don't think that was restful time for anybody because I think a lot of us were stressed out about the state of the world. And so, you know, just feeling like we all could use a break. The basketball players certainly had been in a bubble for 100 days or whatever that had been, maybe longer. Um, so I, I was not excited about the season to begin with because it was starting so quickly. And then the season happens and you've got all these really great players getting hurt, which that happens every year. But you started to see the teams that were in the bubble for the longest worn down even more. That wasn't ideal. And on top of that, Um, you had so many blowouts during the season. And I wrote about that probably two months ago that we saw more blowouts in the second half after the all-star game than basically we ever had before. More 20 point games Mm -hmm. after the, after the all-star break than we'd ever seen in a second half of the season. So it just kind of seemed like a lot of teams were letting go of the rope. Um, And like I said, it's not completely like that in the playoffs now, but you aren't seeing many close endings and close games at the end of these games. So it is a little frustrating from that standpoint. I don't mind the idea of the smaller markets or kind of the, the teams that haven't won in a while getting a chance. I think that's awesome. Actually. Um I think it's deserved. These were the teams that were at the front of the standings anyway. Um, The one team I think that has a little bit of a, a, a gripe. Um, Not that I care at all. I don't care if they're there or not, but You know, the Lakers were right in that sort of spot as well. Um, You know, they were right in the mix for the best record in the league until they got hurt um, with Davis. And then LeBron obviously went down and then it threw them into a seven spot. They then had to fight to get into the playoffs through the playing game. Um, So I get all that, you know, but Phoenix and Utah, like, sign me up. I, I think that'll be a great matchup in the Western Conference Finals if it happens. I've been saying for a while that I think Phoenix is completely legit. Um, I don't know if they would beat Brooklyn, but I picked them to beat the Lakers before, Um, you know, in the first round, I picked them to kind of easily win this series against Denver in the second round. So I'm not surprised by any of that. There's a whole lot of stuff and a whole lot of writing on the wall that I think people missed. I think some of that is true of Utah as well. Um, And quite frankly, I think, if there's disappointment that you're hearing in the media, I think to some extent it's because people didn't sit and watch these teams throughout the year. Everybody watches everything LeBron and the Lakers do. Everybody watches the Knicks. Once they realize they're good, everybody watches Brooklyn because of, you know, the the star trio that they have and the bucks because of Giannis. But these other teams, it's kind of like, Oh, I didn't know Atlanta was this good. Oh, I didn't realize that, um, you know, the Phoenix and Utah were this legit. And it's like, okay, well, they've been good the whole year. I'm not really sure what more they can do. And even Denver with Jokic, like I'm I'm not really sure what more someone can do other than be like a top level MVP candidate. If you're just now realizing how good they are, that's on you. If if you have the ability to watch league wide. Um, So, you know, I I don't mind that at all. I think it's exciting. Quite frankly, I think this is the only way to build up smaller markets, but you know, star players are not going to go play in a smaller market. Generally. Um, if they have a choice between that and a big market where they can link up with buddies. So this is the only way for them to get on the map and for them to get more regular TV attention. Um, so I'm happy for them. Uh, and I'm not surprised at all that, um, that Utah and Phoenix are doing as well as they are. Um, and not that surprised by Atlanta either. You know, I, I, I didn't think that they would wipe the floor with New York the way they did. Um, I thought that would be a more competitive series, but um but they I mean they have a really solid team around Trey Young. I think they still need some more help. I think they desperately need DeAndre Hunter. Um but yeah, it's it's been for me it's been cool to see it because I think we need more market diversity in the league. And um I, I think it's good and I think it's it sets a good precedent for going
1: forward. What do you think about if the Clippers do end up losing this series to Utah? And granted they were down two oh before and they um uh, they came back and won that, and they still have to go back to their home floor and uh, take care of business there. So the series outlook could look completely different. But if they lose in the second round to Utah and Kawhi Leonard can become a free agent, do you think he ends up leaving the Clippers and going somewhere else, or do you think that he's he's there for the long haul with that team?
2: Uh, I mean, at a certain point, I think he could leave and maybe should leave. I, I think the thing that you can't downplay is the fact that one, he obviously wanted to go there. I think it was a little bit of a homecoming for him to go back to California. Um, but yeah, I mean, somebody asked me a similar question to this a couple weeks ago, and it looked like they were going to get knocked out by the Mavericks. I mean, keep in mind, this dude left the team after winning a championship, like right after winning. His championship. <laughs> That's so, true. It, it, the question of can he leave? Absolutely. He could leave. I mean, he did it after he won the whole thing with a team that easily could have repeated or at least been in that conversation that he stayed. So, I mean, yeah, him losing certainly could be an impetus for him leaving. I don't even think it's so much just losing as much as like you don't have a whole lot of ways to retool this team. Um And I think, quite frankly, the Bucs are going to have this issue, too, if they lose to Brooklyn in a 4-1 sort of defeat. Um, Because Brooklyn, uh, I'm sorry, um, Milwaukee gave up most of their future assets to get Drew Holiday to lock in Giannis. So now they've done that, but you don't have a whole lot of ways to really improve the top end of that team anymore because you've locked in Drew. You've locked in Giannis supermax which you were going to try to do that anyway middleton is there as a max guy um so i mean like what else do you really do you're also a small market by the way so there's that and with la with the clippers you've got Kawhi. in order to get Kawhi, you tried to basically twist oklahoma city's arm into giving you paul george so you gave them every pick you had for that and the way it was kind of surmised at that point was like well it's not a bad trade because you're making that trade to get both Kawhi and Paul George. So it's almost like you're trading those picks for the two of them. Okay. Yeah. But if Kawhi chooses to leave now, you're in a rough spot because you can't, I mean, they're, they're completely capped out. Um, You don't really have, you know, Reggie Jackson is great. He has been great this season for them, but like he's not a top flight point guard, which I kind of feel like that would solve a lot of their problems if they had one. Um, And yeah, they they might just kind of be stuck. And we've already seen that Dallas, even without really a great roster around Luca, can push them and maybe beat them. Um, So yeah, I mean, like the Clippers have a really good team, but it might not be enough. And if you've seen that in the last two years and you're Kawhi and all of a sudden you decide it's not of the utmost importance for you to be in California anymore, maybe you do leave. So I, I mean, I absolutely could see him leaving. I'm not sure where he'd want to go. I'm not sure if, Being in California is more important to him than, you know, winning right away. Uh, And I'm also, depending on where he goes, I'm not sure what situation that he could go to that would put him in like a surefire situation where he's more guaranteed to win right away. Mm. Because Brooklyn, assuming they're going to stick together for a while, it doesn't look like they're going anywhere if they can stay healthy. Um, You know, we'll see what happens with Philly here if they beat Atlanta. But, um, you know, it's not as easy as just saying, oh, if I go to the East now. I can win right away, you know, and win and win, have a better shot winning the title. Like Brooklyn's not going to be easy to get through necessarily. Yeah. And the West is the West. And so, you know, I don't know. If winning is more important to him, that's great. But I don't know where you're going that guarantees you
0: winning more than what you have with the Clippers making some tweaks. No, for sure. For sure. What What are your thoughts been on the play-in game that they uh, obviously started last season? I personally like it. I understand this season has been weird just because, like you said, they tried to start the season so quickly, and they try to fit a lot of games into, like, a shorter time span. But I think in a regular uh, season, like a regular 82-game season when it's, like, a lot more time involved, I really like the playing aspect just simply because it makes a regular season more important. I feel like teams probably take the regular season a little more seriously as opposed to just kind of – you know, going through the motions all throughout the season and that aspect. So I personally like it. And I and I do like we've seen some really fun games as well because of the plan. Uh, so what is what has been your uh, thoughts about that addition to the NBA that uh, they, they have uh, done with like Adam Silver and all them?
2: Yeah, no, I, I actually thought it was really fun. I mean, it's interesting because I don't know that the full calculus of it should be like, oh, look, we got the Lakers and the Warriors to play. Like, that happened. It's great that it happened. It's very fun to watch it. That game was fantastic. Um, I don't think that will be the standard every year. I don't think there's any way for that to happen every year unless you get weird stuff happening. Um, I like it. I My qualm would be, like, if you've got a 7 and an 8 that are, like, way out in front of the the 9 and the 10, Yeah. I think that there should be – kind of like last year, like, there should be limitations to it where – if you're not within a certain amount of games, you shouldn't have the ability to like, it shouldn't be a one game knockout situation. Um, You know, I I don't think, I don't think a nine seed should be able to play their way in through just winning two games. If they're down by five or six games. And I'm, I'm not sure how feasible it is that there'd be that wide of a gap, but I just hope that if they're going to continue to do it, that they don't allow a team that like, you shouldn't be able to just beat win two games and get in. I'll put it that way. Um, So I don't know. I, I I just don't want to see a a 10 seed get in because they happen to win two games when they're down by six or seven in the race. Um, I don't want to see a team and more so, I don't want to see a team that has been good enough to be right in the conversation closer to one through seven, one through six or whatever, and then get knocked out by a 10 seed. you know, that they're further, that they have some distance from. And I I do think it's a little rough to, I'll probably like the plan even more when you're not having a weird shortened season like this where, you know, the Lakers were, I won't say punished, but they had less of a rest than anybody else, basically. Mm. And then yeah. you know, have an injury prone star and then an older aging star. And they both get hurt and then they're both trying to come back from the injury maybe earlier than they should have, and then playing their way in, winning by the skin of their teeth against the Warriors, and then being run down, then watching eighty get hurt in the playoff series. Like that's not ideal to me. Um, I don't know what way around that there was this year. I don't think it makes the plan idea bad, but I, I, I just, I would rather see it happen in a situation where it's like teams don't have a massive gap between them and whoever they're playing. And if they do, then maybe, maybe set limitations to how small or how wide the gap should need to be to let a team play their themselves in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking maybe it's like some tweaks that they can make is, instead of having the 7th and 8th seed play each other, stack it up so, like, the 7th plays the 10th and then the 8th plays the 9th. Um, that could be a little more interesting. I don't know. Obviously, I, I don't know. Maybe they wanted to do it because they wanted to make the games more competitive so have the teams that are more close in talent play each other. But I don't know. Maybe something like that. But I think, like I said, I think if it's in a regular season format, like when the ADG game season and then you have, like, from October till um mid-April I think teams can kind of be more prepared for it like like you talk about guys like uh the Lakers like with LeBron and AD maybe they can be like okay well well, the first half of the season we know we can be a little bit in cruise control but then the second half season we're gonna have to get in so any games we want to rest for load management let's let's take care of that more so in the first half of the season and then once the second half season gets there let's you know let's get get going in a sense so that's why i kind of like the playing idea just because like we see so much overall in the over the years where the regular season's kind of become like what's the point of this let's just get to the playoffs right so i that's why i kind of like it it just makes teams be like you know you know what we can't just from from october to april be like who cares let's just get to the playoffs yeah. Hmm.
2: That makes total sense to me. I could see something. I, I think it needs some tweaks, even like with the Elam ending thing, you know, I, I, there are really good ideas that come about, but I think they need slight tweaks to them. It's very rare that you do it one time and it's like perfect. So I, I think this year it was fun to watch it. Um, a couple of those games are brutal. I, I remember the Charlotte Indiana game in particular just being real ugly. Um, and then I want to say the game that Indiana lost, their second playing game was real ugly too, but it, it, I think it's a good strategy. I just think it needs to be tweaked, like you said.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So, uh, is anybody beating Brooklyn? Uh, doesn't matter who comes out the West. Is Brooklyn just going to win this whole thing? I mean, can Milwaukee uh, tie this up and even win that series? I I, I I, I, guess, like I was saying earlier, it just feels like even though they have not played a lot of minutes together, it's hard to... Imagine someone beating three Hall of Fame basketball, like shot creators on the same team, and then they still have shooters around that. Like, is, so, can anyone beat Brooklyn in a seven game series?
2: I don't think it's going to be Milwaukee. I picked Milwaukee. So, I, you know, my, my teammate at SI, Michael Pina, was he, like stunned when I took Milwaukee in the series. When we were podcasting about it um, a week, week and a half ago before the series started. You know, he'd studied the numbers and, you know, watched some of the film more closely than I had um, in some of the series I was paying attention to, because so he was like, even when one of these guys is out of the lineup, there's still record-breaking numbers they're putting up, and even when they're in the lineup together, record-breaking numbers they put up, so it's kind of like, damn it if you do, damn it if you don't. It's just hard to take some of that stuff at face value, you know, in a series against who are they playing in the first round that they just waxed real easily? Boston, mm-hmm. you know, it's the Boston series. But, you know, I'm thinking, okay, but Milwaukee will provide more resistance. They're better on defense. They've got more offense. And then you watch it, and it's just like they're doing this to Milwaukee. Like Milwaukee's been here, done that two time MVP, and they're just mopping the floor with them. And so, in certain moments, Giannis looks afraid in certain moments. You see the wheels turning in his head in certain moments. Um, and then the one game Milwaukee gets is like a complete fluke sort of thing, you know? Just, yeah. It just doesn't – you're not ever going to have Brooklyn play that – you could play with just Durant and not Irving and not Harden, and I would expect them to score more points than they scored the other night. So I don't think that's going to happen again. Maybe Milwaukee wins again, but I don't think they're ever going to win. Like, they could play 10 years on back-to-back-to-back-to-back nights for 10 years, and I feel like you would not have that game happen again the way yeah. – it did with that low of a score. Um, I would more expect that to be a halftime score – between those two teams than like a full game score. Um, so I don't see that happening again. I, it's really tough. Even as they just won, it's, it, it's almost harder for me to imagine Milwaukee winning the series. You know, if that's how they have to win, they're not going to win that series. So I I was out on Brooklyn several times this year just because I was like, I don't see their defense being good enough. I don't think that a team can win with this little cohesion with their guys having played together for eight minutes all season or whatever. I know it's more than eight minutes, but I I didn't see it. Even watching them look that dominant, I was like, I just don't see it. But it's really hard to deny it now at this point. I mean, I think someone can give them a run, potentially. Um, I keep thinking at some point that much offense at some point will cool down, but maybe it won't. Um, I'd love to see them play Phoenix because I think Phoenix is maybe the best team left in this thing outside of Brooklyn. I think Phoenix has a crazy amount of balance and I'm, I don't know. My brain always tells me that balance will be just really, really ridiculous offense, but this might be something where they break through that threshold of where defense, frankly, doesn't matter that much. And it's not, you know, they're, they're not as big a slaps defensively as I think I made them out to be. And other people made them out to be um, Durant certainly can defend when he wants to. Irving can apply pressure when he wants to Harden when he's healthy can defend, you know, when he wants to. And in the post, he certainly can stand guys up. And, you know, Claxton is there, as you mentioned earlier uh, in the podcast. Um, You know, and Blake is playing harder and, and more targeted in a more targeted way than he was earlier in the season. So look, they're certainly capable. I kind of understand them being the favorites. It's still jarring to me to think about why and how with just that much offense. But I think Phoenix could give anybody a run. And I also think Phoenix would be favored if not for Brooklyn, or at least in my mind, it would be because they've been so complete. They have more cohesion than everybody. Um, and they are good at stuff that other teams normally want to give you on defense. They, they take mid range jumpers like they're candy. You know, they, they're happy to Booker and Chris Paul are happy to take those shots, which kind of seems like a problem for a team like Utah that normally wants to give you those shots. And yeah, yeah, Gobert wants to give you. And so it's like, okay, well, what is Gobert supposed to do when he can't hang back at the basket? But if he comes up too high, he's going to contest and certainly deter some stuff at the rim. But, you know, Phoenix may be able to kind of get him out of his comfort zone. Chris Paul's diced him up in the past. So I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I, I really like Phoenix. My, my heart tells me Phoenix is capable of doing anything now at this point. Um, but my head and just looking at what you're looking at with Brooklyn – it's really hard to pick anybody over them with them playing that way, and and that's without Harden even. And if you add Harden into that mix, it just seems like it might be a little bit too much for anybody to overtake.
0: Yeah, that's why it's said like conventional wisdom is telling me that they can't, they won't survive. But it's like maybe their offense is just too damn good, and that's why conventional wisdom is being just thrown out the window. Um, and then yeah, what, what you mentioned with with this with the Suns, I think that's, I think, the key right there for them against Utah even because Chris Paul might be the worst point guard to play as far as the drop is concerned against because, yeah, you want to give him that mid-range shot, but he's going to kill you with that mid-range shot, right the open mid-range. Like, I remember watching because the Bulls played uh, the drop coverage. That was their base defense this season. And when the Bulls played them, they had, they were up 18 against the Sun. Yep. In the third quarter, and then the fourth quarter came, Chris Paul just, you know, figured out what the Bulls' defense was going to do, and that drop got to his spots. Every time, got to his spots, mid-range, boom, 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 and it was just over.
2: They did it to him last year, too, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Where he went off against them, and they had a huge fourth-quarter comeback against yeah. Last year too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So that's something, man. You can't – he's done that to Gobert for a while. I think – I want to say the last time Chris Paul went off for 40 in the playoffs, he did it against Gobert. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's just – and, like, if, if if they had played against each other a round ago when Chris Paul's shoulder was messed up, I would have said I'll take Utah because his shoulder looks so messed up that he couldn't shoot, but he looks fine now and looks back on target now. So, I, good luck with that. You know, I, yeah. I think the best hope at that point is to really smother him and to try to – dare people like Jay Crowder to beat you, you know, but like Jay Crowder is kind of inconsistent, but the other guys, okay. You want to give Mikel Bridges wide open threes for the series? Yeah. You know, like it's, it's just a really good team and they're really good on defense and Aiton as good as Aiton was during the regular season, he's been unstoppable almost offensively. And when he's within five or six feet, I mean, he just looks great. And um, not surprising to me at all that they're just mopping the floor with Denver. Um, which maybe that's a little bit unfair, but it's certainly three Oh, but they're, you know, the games have been competitive through a half or three quarters, like I said, but they just, they don't take their foot off of your neck at all. Um, their bench is good. The starting rotation is good. They can all shoot. They can get to the basket. They can make you uncomfortable with where they're going to shoot from and hit your pressure points. They're well-coached. I I don't, you know, and it's crazy to think that with all that, Brooklyn is still, like, probably a heavier favorite than I would make them out to be, you know. Um, Yeah. They're they're just really, really dominant on offense. But Phoenix, I would say Phoenix is as good and as balanced as Brooklyn is dominant on offense. That's how balanced Brooklyn is. But I don't know if it will be enough to take down a dominant offense like that.
0: Yeah, I think it might be X factor might be Aiden, just because if he can consistently play the way he has, uh, that could that could definitely push the the, fav, uh, the favor or the towards being for the Suns as opposed to for Brooklyn.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, we'll see, man. I, 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 it's a little tough for me to really know who or what would take out Brooklyn at this point, but you know, at a certain point, someone's gonna have to slow them down and. The Milwaukee game looked like more of a fluke. Phoenix might have a little bit more success, but Milwaukee's not bad on defense. So, you know, unless you can slow them down a little bit, uh, I don't doubt that Phoenix will be able to score on on Brooklyn, but it's not Brooklyn's not afraid to be scored on because they can outscore everybody else. So, um, you know, Chris Paul's going to need a whole lot of mid-range jumpers to beat them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think they're capable. I just think it will take them really, really slowing down Brooklyn. Um, in a way that we haven't seen
1: anybody else do. So, what do you think about the Bulls all season coming up? Uh, yesterday, we got news that Kobe White is going to miss uh, at least four months with a that uh, just had sh- uh, surgery on a shoulder injury, and that's when he'll be reevaluated. But he could miss up to six months, depending on the uh, like absolute high end of the injury. So. The Bulls were already entering the offseason with some questions about what they're going to do with point guard. So the urgency now is going to definitely be higher with Kobe White sideline for the offseason. And they won't have their first round draft pick. They moved that for Nikola Vucevic. Uh, their cap space or how they're going to operate above the cap is kind of uh, limited in a sense as well. But uh, we're, we're looking at a team going into the offseason with Zach Levine. Nikola Vucevic, and they're trying to figure out a way to get this team to take the next step in a way that the Phoenix Suns kind of did with uh, Devin Booker and uh, uh, DeAndre Ayton and their uh, group of young guys. So with this news about Kobe White, how do you see the Wolves approaching this offseason now? Do you think they're going to be a lot more aggressive now? Do you think there is something on the trade market that makes sense? But uh, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll be really honest. This will be a little bit harsh. Um, You know, I watched plenty of the Bulls. I think that they probably needed to be looking for something to take a big swing anyway. And I don't think Kobe White and his future should have been, like, such a big consideration. Like, you obviously wanted him to be healthy. This last offseason was not real because of the the pandemic and the virus. So you always have hope that he'll progress. But I don't think Kobe had shown you so much to where, like, you're going to have him top of mind for whatever you do this summer. Um, They needed to be out looking for a a legitimate point guard anyway. And, you know, I would actually go as far as to say someone that really goes well outside of what Kobe does. Um, So obviously Lonzo Ball has been rumored for a while. I would have felt like what they did with Vucevic was a home run if they had been able to swing a trade for Lonzo as well. Because I think he does enough of what the Bulls lack as far as defense, as far as giving you another guy in the lineup that doesn't require the ball a whole lot. And I know sataransky fits that bill, but he, you know, can play hot potato with the ball a little bit, isn't mm-hmm. really looking to shoot all the time or much at all. Mm-hmm. Lonzo's a little bit more aggressive than that. Um, you know, is bigger than sataransky is just as far as uh, bulk and everything like that. Um but also can change the tempo of the game and really gets into people defensively. So Lonzo would be great. And like you said, Chris Paul is kind of the archetype for what you should be looking for here. A team that is, you know, I think saying they're on the fringes of the playoff conversation is probably a bit generous, but could be, um, you know, if they were healthy and would have been maybe closer to a playoff scenario if Levine hadn't gotten hurt there toward the end of the year Um, or if they pulled the trigger with Vucic earlier to get him in a trade. So, you know, a Chris Paul type, you know, a Kyle Lowry type, I don't know that they want to go that old with what they're doing, but at this point with Vucevic on the roster and needing to figure out exactly how far you're going to go with Levine, who, you know, I think in a lot of people's minds has played himself into a max situation. um, You need to figure this out pretty quickly. And so while on the one hand, getting an older point guard might not be completely appealing to everybody, um, it probably is something that you should be considering. And, and maybe that means you do away with some of the other guys that you have less need to keep certain guys on the roster, certainly the point guards on the roster, if it means making space for somebody who's going to have a bigger cap number um, this summer. But, I mean, by all means, you need to get a point guard. It's very nice having uh, that young to, you know, to kind of handle the ball and to, to work as kind of a point forward at times. But it's very, very clear that they need someone that can set the table. It's very, very clear that Levine is talented as all get out, but, you know, and and can play make, but is not someone that you want to rely on. Um, You know, I remember a stat that I pulled last year where he had kind of a crazy shot to assist ratio um, in clutch moments, which, you know, kind of makes sense because he's the guy you want taking shots at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. But he's not a great, great decision maker all the time. And there are times where because of how much defensive attention he attracts, he could get other guys open and gets other guys open, but doesn't see them all the time. So, I, you know, you can't look at what Booker has done this year and not kind of salivate over what the possibilities would be with someone like Chris Paul playing with Levine. and Chris Paul may be on the market this year. It's going to be an arm and a leg whoever pays him if they you know if he takes his option and throws it out the window. But you know, you have to look at everything that's on the table because the Bulls if you're confident in the way you've built this team out and started to build this team out um, and you, you obviously gave a lot to get Uchevich at this point, you need to finish the job. Everything else is just kind of pointless. If you're not going to do that, find a point guard that makes Zach and Nikola Uchevich work. So I'm very curious to see what they do. I think Lonzo would be a good fit for them Do I think that puts them in the top tier of the East. Probably not, but Lonzo might grow into a role where he does do that for them. Um, are there other guys that would potentially do that? Chris Paul, would he do that? Probably, which that's the scary part of it. You know, how much are you willing to commit to someone who's that old? Uh, someone's going to pay him a lot, whether it's Phoenix or someone else, but, um, it'll be very interesting to see what the bulls do, what they try to do to maneuver with the cap a little bit to make more room. Um, but they're in a fascinating spot because I, I think Phoenix is going to give a lot of teams, a lot of hope very quickly about what they're, what they could potentially do in the jump they could make if they push the right buttons this summer.
1: Yeah, it, it it feels like more and more that it's just in terms of point guard options to fit what the Bulls need. It feels like they're just kind of limited in what they can really get. Like you mentioned, Chris Paul uh, would probably be the best outcome. But I mean, you're gonna you're not, you're not you're not gonna be alone in that derby. I mean, there's gonna be so many teams <laughs> no, who would no want Chris Paul no, yeah. and Lonzo Ball. Uh, again, we we both like him, solid. Uh, but. He, I feel like he's not really – I feel like he's more of a compromise on – in terms of what you really need, and he's not really going to fulfill everything. So, it, it, it feels like they're just – they're not going to find that, like, perfect guy outside of maybe one or maybe two guys. So, I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's tough because, again, Lonzo – what you would have to hope is that Lonzo just grows into that role where he becomes a little bit more aggressive as a scorer becomes more of a scorer, becomes more consistent with the three ball, which was improved this year. Mm. Um, and that he changes your defense in a, in a way like Chris Dunn did when he was healthy and he can do all those things. Maybe it gets in the playoffs next year. And if he stays on an upward trajectory and you keep Levine, whatever money that is going to cost you, um, that you hope maybe in two years that you're, you know, you're a top tier by top tier. I mean, a home court advantage team in the playoffs. Um, It's a lot easier to see how you get from A to C by getting one of the big name guys, but it's going to cost you a whole lot of money. Lonzo frankly will cost you a pretty decent amount of money this year. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I, I really don't know what they're willing to spend. I really don't know what they're prioritizing. I really don't know how quickly they're trying to make this all happen. Um, they're in a very interesting spot, but I, I could very easily see this being a summer where teams eyes get bigger than their stomachs, um, based on, I mean, Phoenix literally just made a jump from not being in the playoffs to battling in the last week of the season for the one seed, And they might be the the finals representative out of the West. Um, so when you start talking about what gamble is worth it and is a gamble worth it? I mean, let's be real here. The Bulls rotation is not as balanced as what Phoenix's is. Um, you know, we could have a conversation about where Levine is relative to Booker. Um, Aiden is not anything to sneeze at and the improvement that he's made. So, you know, it's not to say that they would make that jump, but if you can make a jump that is 75% of what Phoenix has made, you can make the argument that you need to be making, doing whatever it takes to go bring in a player like that. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, It'd be interesting. I don't know anyone that would complain if they went and found a way to, to bring in Chris Paul, even if it was a ton of money for a ton of years that would make everybody uncomfortable. But, you know, you know, at least when we've seen the Bulls do that before. We, we saw them do it. A good example. A couple of years back when they they were going to go young, guys, we're going young. We're, we're going to build this thing the right way. And then they go get Rajon Rondo.
0: And yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I mean, when they did that, though, they got, if I'm remembering correctly, they got either the seven or the eight seed that year. So it was kind of like worst case scenario. Now they still had a chance to win the series until Rondo got hurt. Um, But with Chris Paul, I think the hopes would be higher that you could really make a realistic jump into the top tier of the conversation and the conference. And I think when you can make that big of a jump, you can make the argument very quickly that it's worth it. Um, And, you know, do you want Chris Paul at 40? Probably not, but we're seeing now, as long as he's healthy, he's still making a positive impact. Mm. And, you know, and at that point, maybe you've at least built the groundwork enough to where other people want to come play in Chicago, which that's been a problem for the longest. And we know that. So a lot of interesting things to consider here, but I think at this point, you don't want to be hamstrung with a horrible contract, but, you know, it might be one of those things where you just kind of throw, throw doubt to the wind and throw concern to the wind a little bit, at least for the first two years of that, and then just figure everything out afterwards. I don't know. I don't I don't know what they're planning to do. There's not enough of the history with Karnasovas to know what he's planning to do or what he wants to do. I think we all know they're going to want to upgrade that spot. And quite frankly, Kobe White being hurt and needing surgery probably lends even more credence to that, quite frankly. Um, you know, maybe it makes it even easier to, to go all in on that position.
0: Yeah, I think, like, Lonzo for me makes the most sense is because of the timeline factor, like he's closest to age with like Kobe and Zach and other obviously Vuce, Vucevic is a little, a little bit older. older, a little bit older, but I think he did still kind of fit into that same timeline. And I feel a little okay about gambling on paying him just because like he's shown that he can improve, that he can develop his game, like changing his mechanics on a shot can't be easy. And he was able to do that. Uh, and hopefully he can eventually become a better half court point guard uh, as a development is concerned. So th- I think that's why I like that uh, aspect going after him. And obviously he he solves a lot of defensive issues next to is Zach. Uh, the Chris Paul thing—I mean, I would love Chris Paul, but I think you just have to—you would have to cut so many of the players that are effective, like Thad Young, uh, lose T- Sadoransky for nothing, lose a lot of these other players. Like I mean, I know Garrett Temple is. Kind of like a you know journeyman vet, but he was really big, impactful, and kind of just shows you how little depth the Bulls have as far as rotation Pass. talent is concerned. Because when when the Bulls lost Garrett Temple last season, that hit their defense really badly because he was probably their best uh, perimeter defensive player. So that hurt them a lot. So yeah, I think I think getting guy like Lonzo is probably a little more realistic because you could probably force a, figure out a sign and trade so with the Pelicans just because the Pelicans are in a situation that they're trying to cut cap space so maybe you can take on Bledsoe's contract. But yeah, it comes down to what the Bulls do as far as the salary is concerned because I don't know what ownership will allow uh, AK to do. Obviously, that still always comes into play. I, just, I know we're we're supposing a new era, but I still think about that. I still think about ownership, willingness uh, of spending money. So we'll, we'll be interesting in that regard as well.
2: Yeah, and I'm, I think I saw it earlier. It was more easy to see when I was on my computer for the Zoom call, but I think you've got a White Sox shirt on. We, we all know the ownership yeah. question. <laughs> ownership doing exactly the opposite of what fans will want them to do with regards to coaches sometimes with the White Sox and yeah, um, yeah. spending certainly. So we'll we'll see. I mean, they're, they're in a very interesting place. Um, it's very easy to see how they can make a very big jump if they push the right buttons here, um, you know, the the, the the Vucevic trade, even on deadline day, didn't feel like all they were trying to do. You know, I, I thought that they were going to swing the trade for Lonzo that day. I figured marketing mm-hmm. would be a part of that. Um, I won't say disappointed because I don't have a vested interest or care, but, um, you know, would have made them more interesting. And when they didn't get that done, I was like, oh, so their defense is going to be probably pretty rough here for a while, yeah. you know, and, um, and not that their defense have been great before, but um, you know, it's hard to build a defense around that, but it gets much easier when you have a point guard that can, you know, slow the point of attack a little bit, yeah. getting passing lanes and, you know, so we'll see. I mean, it's, it's very easy to see how they make a jump if they make the right call there, but um, either way they're going to be committing real money if they, if they really try to upgrade that position and they, it seems like they really, really need to.
0: Yeah. I think they tried very hard to get Lonzo. It just, pelicans weren't budging they didn't want only Lowry. they wanted another asset and i think they were trying to swing a trade for a first round pick with Lowry. like i think they were trying to call like all these teams to see if they could get like a first uh give to uh the pelicans but they just yeah, couldn't work out
2: i blame them you know i, I i'm not sure how you guys feel about him um i don't know what bulls nation's you know take on Lowry is like i I'm not quite disappointed in him. Uh, I mean, it's been a rough go for him from a health standpoint, obviously. Um, I, I think there's always kind of this image that people build in their heads of what someone is supposed to be when they have his build and when they have his size and when they have a good looking stroke. And, you know, I, I think the same thing about like Bargnani. Uh, Bargnani came in the league, and I, I'm sure everybody hates hearing about Bargnani in relation to, <laughs> yeah. to the um,
1: That's one where you don't want to say.
2: <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to hear that. Big um, fans like want to annihilate me anytime I do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, but he came into the league, was the number one pick, had like, you know, range that seven footers don't really have, and, you know, shot well from three at the beginning of his career. And Lowry looked like, you know, he was going to he has, I think he's set records for like the number of threes he's hit for someone his size, you know, mm-hmm. um, first couple seasons. So like he has the tools and like, even defensively, he looks capable of doing more. I remember watching the guy, he was like the best player I saw in that first year or two of like big guys that could guard Porzingis at the perimeter and on the block. Like he didn't really give up much ground when Porzingis would try to back him down. Little did we know Porzingis was not really a great post player at the time. Yeah. Uh, little did we know that Porzingis would have questions of his own by this point in his career, as far as like what his future is. Um, but like, it's very clear that he's talented. It's very clear that he sometimes really rises to the occasion. Um, is it just that he's not a good fit? Is it just that he hasn't had enough time to develop the cohesion that he needs? I don't know, but it's yeah. I, it doesn't surprise me that New Orleans wanted more. And it's interesting because you know a year or two before that, I think the hopes that people had in marketing were probably great enough to where you probably could have traded him for somebody like Lonzo. Yeah. Mm. You know, or, you know, him and something smaller than a first round pick. But now, I mean, you, you would feel, I think most people would feel much better about having Lonzo than marketing. Um, and I'm not sure what that says about the bulls folks, their development folks. I had really high hopes for Wendell Carter. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not, still, I'm still not all the way out on him, but when you look at some of the guys in his class and him, Yeah, Um, it's been a rough go for him, too. I know he struggled to stay healthy as well, but, you know, I thought maybe the Bulls were holding him back a little bit. You know, I saw so many clips from some of the folks that cover that team and just looking at how he wouldn't even take a look at the basket when he'd get handoffs um, from the wing, even though he shot well from three at Duke. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's it's, it's tough. And so you hope that Lonzo is on a good enough trajectory to where he's kind of figured out what he wants to be and what he's going to do long-term and that the Bulls, if he does end up with the Bulls, that they can put him on a different path than they're putting some of these other young guys on because it just, there, there aren't that many assets there. Like you said, there are a couple, um, and they're not ones that are homegrown for the most part. Um, That's what makes it even tougher with Kobe at this point with his injury is that uh, the worst possible time uh, summer where you could really progress and get better. Didn't really have much of an opportunity to do that with the team last year with the pandemic. And now it's kind of taken out of your hands to have it now. So um, yeah, it's I don't know. They're in a, they're a, a, an intriguing spot, but a very tough spot at the same time. For the team.
1: Yeah, it's uh, the Bulls haven't done themselves any they haven't done themselves any uh, favors by having poor development in the last three or four years. And you go back and look at those last three drafts. I'm not going to include Patrick Williams. He's a rookie, but. Uh, yeah. Lowry, Wendell, Kobe—they were all really mocked, like consistently, like at seven or maybe eight, maybe six. Like it, it, so, it wasn't like they reached on talent or they made a weird pick to get those players. Like they—they they made logical picks, and you can say people can say whatever they want about upside and you know who they passed on, but those picks weren't really mocked or anything at the time, and what they did afterwards with coaching and development and uh, culture and organization, the team wasn't really uh, taking any steps. Those players were in really bad positions to succeed. And uh, it's not shocking that they've underachieved. And in Lowry's case, he started really hot and it's just been downward ever since. So uh, I, I think with Lowry, he can still have a long NBA career. I mean, he'll have a, um, like a 15, 16 year NBA career. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, but it's like with him, he's a seven footer who can shoot, but there's not a whole lot else that he brings to the table defensively. He doesn't really rebound. Well, he's not known for uh, being a good passer. He's a decent athlete, but you don't see the athleticism pop a lot. Uh, He can't really hang on the perimeter with uh, guys who are smaller than him. And, Uh, frankly, a a lot of times when you watch games, you just see him just standing there. You don't really see a guy that is, uh, trying to make himself a part of the play or make himself a part of the game consistently. So, uh, he, he had his flashes, but it just seems like the role that he is, is not as coveted as it used to be.
2: Yeah. I I think part of it too to me, I won't say whenever, but pretty much whenever. Whenever you grab someone that's seven, legitimately seven feet tall, with his frame, mm. your hope—if not instantly—your hope at some point is that they can play center and that they can be a rim protector. Which, I mean, that even if you're not a great shooter at that point, if you're just a, a decent one or even slightly but below average, you can make that work because if you can—I mean, Embiid is a great example. It's obviously Embiid is you know, in a different galaxy defensively and offensively than, than Lowry. But like Embiid hangs out on the perimeter all day long when he's not posting up. And he's like a 31% three-point shooter, maybe worse than that sometimes. Um, so just that threat alone, which Lowry can shoot that, you know, you can play on the perimeter at that size when you're playing center, but it becomes more of a task when you're, you know, power forward, maybe even sometimes playing small forward. Um it, it, it's, it's just not going to work. And, and if you're not someone that can even defend well, a small forward or a power forward, let alone protect the rim, it's just kind of like, what are we doing at this point? Um, you know, and you would think playing with Levine would make it easier for him. And maybe some of that is on Levine and, and his lack of vision sometimes and his tunnel vision. Sometimes maybe it's the lack of a point guard. Maybe it's not on Levine to do that. Although, I would argue that you've seen a lot of other ball handlers that aren't point guards that do just fine vision wise and not having tunnel vision and including their teammates. Um, yeah, they're, 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 there's just some flaws there and it's a little bit frustrating. Like Levine has blossomed into you know a top level scorer, obviously, but just the the development of some of the other guys uh, has just not been there and it's not been all that apparent. Um, you've seen the light switch flip on for different people that are vets. Mm -hmm. Um, That was great this year. I thought it was very Mm -hmm. fun to watch was a great creator for them. And, you know, guy that just was constantly looking out for other teammates to get them open. Then hit them when they were cutting and when he cuts and stuff like that, Patrick Williams was a, was a really nice find. And I think he's actually one of their better passers. but what scares me about that is that Wendell struck me as one of their better passers too. Um, But, you know, it's great when you you got a bunch of guys that can pass the ball well, but you gotta do something more. And like ideally what you want and I think what is so intriguing about Phoenix is that you got a bunch of guys that pass the ball well, you got a bunch of guys that shoot the ball well, you got a bunch of guys that can put the ball on the floor when they close out on them aggressively. And they can all defend. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's a whole lot of like maybe one of those attributes with all the players, but then like none with some of the others. And, you know, it's just, you don't have a lot of guys with two way talent and it's really hard to build teams around that. Um, And even when teams that don't have all that, like Phoenix, you know, Booker is not a great defender by any means, but like when you put guys around him that all will do all those things and certainly defend hard, it makes him work harder. Um, And I've even seen that be true of Bradley Beal at times where you know certain guys that just do not have reputations for that. Um, that will work harder when you put other guys around them to do it. And so maybe that's where Lonzo comes in, and maybe he helps that. You know, maybe that was one of the good things about Chris Dunn, although he had his deficiencies too. Hmm. But there's just a lot of one-way talent at a time where the league really puts a premium on two-way talent. So we'll see. A lot of interesting decisions to be made. A lot of uh, a lot of talent that the Bulls have, but just not. It's not well-rounded talent. I think that's part of
0: their problem. Yeah, I think Zach, like, so he did make improvements this year as a team defender. I think overall, I would say he was, he was below average defender this season. Um, and then with his passing, he did become a, bit, a better passer in, like, in the pick and roll. And then I think he, there was times he showed better vision, too. Like, he didn't have that same tunnel vision. I think he showed a lot more patience on offense this season as opposed to past seasons where he would just – settle for certain shots that where it will more a little more difficult but he kind of did a better job of probing the defense and things like that but and yeah you're you're right that i think have, i think having the when when Vucevic came into the lineup i think you saw the ball movement even get better because he's that guy that has a really good vision and moves the ball and you saw that from everyone the team's like assist numbers were like consistently 26 to like 30 assists a game and that's really great, right? That's like one of the top assist teams in the league. So, yeah, you definitely should saw that. Um, one thing I would ask you to get get to Pat Williams, um, what did you think of his rookie season overall? Like, how do you, how do you see him as far as potential? And, and would you probably, if it came down to it again, take him fourth overall as, as far as where he went in the draft?
2: So I, I was impressed. Um, I... I I will say that I think it gets difficult sometimes when you've got a team that is so built around two guys. Um, I'd I'd love to see him take a a step next year uh, as we were talking about the Bulls development to do a little bit more from a scoring standpoint. I I, I was impressed. I didn't realize that he was as capable as he was um, as a passer. The guy has, I mean, his build makes me so hopeful for kind of what he can do defensively what he can do as a scorer, the ability to potentially punish guys in the post more um, just with his size. Um, but yeah, the passing was what kind of was a revelation to me. I I have to give thought. I'm always bad at kind of saying what I think about drafts. Like i have to look at where everybody else was drafted. Um, that seemed like it was interesting a minute ago when we were talking about um, the development and, you know, and saying, well, I'm not going to include Pat in that conversation because he's just a rookie. He might be the one guy that was viewed as a reach, where it kind of surprised people in the mock drafts, mm-hmm. where when he was taken as high as he was. Um, I mean, it doesn't, to me, there was nothing about his rookie season said, all. This was a massive mistake. Um, but there have been some guys in this class where you're like, oh, these guys are really good. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, I'm hopeful that whatever becomes of him is not just that the bulls dropped the ball on his development because he showed some really nice flashes that with a team that had pretty clear flaws that who knows how much better he gets when you shore up some of those flaws and you make life a little bit easier for him and you get him better looks and you put him in a position where he's not having to create this much for other guys, which that's a pretty big burden as a rookie. Um, You know, but in the moments where he was asked to, or where, he, he made so many finds. I'm like, how did he even see that guy? And that's just, that's not something I expected to see. Certainly not from his position. Um, there are moments where it's like, this guy has point guard vision, um, where he's seeing guys that I'm, you know, I didn't even really see him open and he's playing them open or he's throwing them a pass, even though they don't look to be open. Um, but I, I, I like him personally. I, I think he, to me, at least there were moments where he was one of the, the few bright spots. Um, we talked about that a little bit. I think he was, but I, I think the, Anytime rookies have bright spot moments, it's more valuable than when you've got a guy that's been in the, long, the league as long as that has. Because he kind of not to say expect it, but I almost feel like that was making up for lost time. Like last year was kind of rough for him. Uh, this year was really really nice. But um, I have a buddy that bought a Pat Williams jersey. He ended up being angry about it uh, a couple of days later because then he realized that he got a bootleg jersey from somewhere uh, he thought it was weird. <laughs> but, but it's interesting because I kind of feel like. You, you you take to his game pretty quickly if you watch him play it up. You watch the Bulls playing up. He was one of, he was he feels like a good fight for them. I don't know if over time we'll look back and say he was a great pick at four, but you, you see very easily how he could fit in on a really good team. And um, I think it's on the Bulls to to try to put their right pieces around it to make him even more useful than he was this
1: year. Yeah, absolutely. And to to me, it's when we when we always go back and talk about like who should have took who and who missed on who. Like, I feel like it's never as like cut and dry as right. people, you know, tweet about it's not like, Oh, the bulls are taking my cow bridges right now. And, you know, they have a really, really good player and Wendell Carter jr. Would still be, it's, there's so much more of it goes into it and it's like the bulls don't have chris paul right now the bulls don't have monty williams the bulls don't have whatever culture phoenix has been building this season uh, like players react differently when they're in different environments when they are in different cities when we talked about wendell carter jr initially uh, after a trade a lot of it was like some players and i'm not saying this is what specifically happened to window carter jr but some players playing in a big market as a rookie or a younger player it's not always easy to do and if you can go to orlando and you just walk into the arena and you just play your game there's less pressure you're not there's not as much media there's not as m- many fans who are you know uh hitting you up with their expectations about you like it's it's just more level, it's more grounded, it could fit your personality better, so there's so many different factors that go into talent developing the way they do, even when you look at Bam Adebayo, would he still be the same player in uh, on a team like Sacramento if he had went there? Probably not, I mean Miami is great culture, they built so many, uh, they developed so many really good young talent there, and they've always had a good mix of veterans, good coaching staff, so it, there's so much that really goes into it that I feel like we don't uh, really consider sometimes when I'm discussing all of these things in hindsight. But I, I agree with you that Patrick Williams really shows that he can fit, how he can fit on a really good team. He can play multiple positions, I think, and what he can bring defensively is going to be really coveted. And it, it's it's easy to see why the Bulls took him number four. And now it's just seeing how they can put him in the best positions to succeed.
2: Yeah, Uh, I'm going to go back to one of the first people you mentioned where you're talking about Bridges. I am going to hold one team accountable for Bridges, and that's Philly because they drafted him initially and then (laughs) traded him on that. Yeah, his mom worked for the organization and and the dude is killing it.
0: Yeah, (laughs) he's dead him (laughs) dirty, man. And he was a good would fit, fit on Philly. Perfectly with Oh that my game. God, he would have been a perfect fit. Yeah. He would have been I mean, so good on Philly. They needed the shooters that at the
2: he time. Has, <laughs> the fact that he's just a killer defender, a, a spot up three-point shooter, you know, can make some plays off the dribble. Um is so smart. And I remember it's very rare, I feel this very rare that I feel this way about anything with the draft because I I almost make a point not to watch college because my full-time job is to watch the pros. And so there's really no point for me to try to sit and guesstimate how someone will fit. Um, you know, I, it's my full-time job to watch the pros. I was working on a book, I teach on the side, so I don't really have time. Uh, but, you know, hearing his story, and you know, they always make these stories with, uh, you know, on draft night, and they have them interviewed right after by Cassie Hubbard or whoever else. You know, what does it mean to be drafted by your hometown team? Your mom works for the organization. It was such a cool setup. And like, literally as this happening? They're trading him.
0: Yeah. And
2: I felt so bad. And I rarely feel that way because it's a business. You know, I, I realize that this stuff happens. They realize that this stuff happens. But I rarely care, get invested. But it was like such a made for TV movie sort of story. And then for him to get shipped off to a losing team, um, you're just like, man, that sucks. Like, it would have been so cool for him to end up with, the, you know, the team that his mom works for. And if any team is going to have really good information on this guy stem, STEM. Uh, and so for him to be killing the boy is like, I'm so happy for him. But it's just like, yeah, th- it looks really bad on Philly. Um, I will completely agree, though, that um, the idea of the hindsight that comes with the draft stuff. I mean, the, I think one of the biggest things we miss out on not the team should be drafting for need all the time. Um, but, you know, you're, you're still trying to project what your own players will do or what you think they can do mm. in a perfect setting. And so sometimes if you're drafting somewhat positionally, you're going to miss out on guys that, you know, that are really, really good at that position. Um, and let's be honest, if you're not great at drafting anyway, and the guy that you think might be good, so let's say Kobe White, if he just doesn't pan out or if he's horrible this coming year, um, and the Bulls had passed on a point guard last year, this year, next year, whenever. Um, if, and if it was the same group of people in the front office making those decisions, if you're making one or two or three mistakes, you're likely to make the next one too, and misevaluating talent. You're mm-hmm. about, about evaluating the talent wrongly in the next draft. And so sometimes you compound stuff by not drafting someone by saying, well, we have a guy that we're trying to develop at that position already. I've been critical of that in the past where, um, you know, sometimes you draft talent and you just stack guys on top of each other because you're just trying to repeatedly take the best player in each draft. And I, I've watched Sacramento do that sometimes where they draft at the same position year after year um, and it backfires. And so, I don't know. But you you hope that your management from a development standpoint, from a drafting standpoint, from a free agency standpoint, that they get it right. It's an exciting time for the Bulls just given that they've got a new front office Um, guys that will have a chance to kind of remake the team. You see that they're going to be aggressive like they were with the Bluetooth trade. It'll be interesting to see what they do with the cap space to, you know, and what they do as far as maybe trying to get a point guard in there this year. It'll be interesting to see the way they develop Williams. they will be interesting to see the way they develop Kobe. Um, But it, 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 you know, we have no clue what they're going to do. Um, It'll be interesting one way or the other. I'll put it that way.
0: Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting for sure to see how they go about all of it. Um, But Chris, thank you so much for joining us, man. This has been an absolute pleasure. Um, Obviously, I think everyone that's going to be listening should know where to follow you. Uh, I'm sure they already know who you are and everything that you've done. Um, But yeah, if you want to let listeners know where they can follow you, and please also let listeners know about the book that you're working on and, and when you think it'll be out for people to well, thank
2: you so much for that. I appreciate it. Um, my handle on Twitter is herring my last name, like the fish, herring, uh, underscore NBA. Um, and the book, thank goodness will be out. It's, so it's a book, not about the bulls, but about the Knicks, um, about the nineties Knicks. So Riley Ewing, um, John Starks, Anthony Mason, Charles Oakley. Um, and I think we're going to tweak the title a little bit. It'll be called blood in the garden. And nice. the subtitles of Flagrant History of the 1990s New York Knicks. Um, it should be out for pre-sale next month. We were talking about putting it out for pre-sale uh, closer to Black Friday, but apparently there were some people at Simon and Schuster that were like, "Why are we waiting that long? Like, his book is going to come out in mid-January of next year, and so if we put it out for pre-sale and you know, and Black Friday in November, we're only giving people two months to buy it before it comes out. Why not just put it out now, basically?" So we're trying to finalize the cover for it right now. And um, and once we do that, and I think iron out a couple other things, they'll put it on pre-sale. They said, by the latest, it'll be out late next month. So people will be able to buy it. Buy it. You know, I'm using air quotes. Next month, it will come out January 18th of next year. But uh, it was a pleasure to work on. It was hard to work on. I think I interviewed about 220 people for it. Um, wow. All told. And, um, you know, trying to just, synthesize their stories and put it together in a, in a way that makes sense that people can actually read. But I think there's a ton of stuff in there that uh, that's never been discussed before. That's, you know, that was said to have happened one way that totally happened a different way. Um, some really controversial stuff that I think will, will prompt people to look at Riley a little bit differently, certainly Nick fans, but um, you know, about his decision-making, certainly about the exit that he had from New York and how controversial that was. When he went to Miami, but um, even down to just the game seven decision with John Starks to to leave him in and what went into that when he shot two for 18 against the Rockets in the final. So there's a ton of stuff in there. I'm really proud of it. I wasn't for a long time, uh, but I feel like I'm finally at that point now. But um, so much fun to work on it um, and something that I think I can be really proud of now. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it a little bit.
0: No, for sure. Yeah, yet. I think. Even if we're Bulls fans, we could enjoy that just because of the nineties nostalgia. Uh, that Knicks team probably one of the only few teams that really gave the Bulls an honest to good um shot at possibly beating them. Uh, when they pushed them to the game uh seven games at one year. Um in what was it in ninety-three, I think. Ninety two. Ninety two, sorry, ninety-two. Yeah. So yeah, that 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 should be a really fun read. I'm definitely gonna be uh getting that book. So uh, a lot I'm of stuff in, right. in there about
2: the, the rivalry too. I mean, as yeah. much as you can call it a rivalry because obviously they were close at times, but the Bulls got the best of them whenever Jordan was there. But a lot of fun stories in there. I, I interviewed a lot of Bulls players and I interviewed Phil Jackson for it. And, um, a lot of stuff in there about the yeah. the mm-hmm. nature of the rivalry, how much they disliked each other, about Xavier McDaniel getting in the face of Michael Jordan. Um, yeah, Will Purdue gave me some great stuff for the book. Um, it was just really funny about how much the Knicks fans hated the bulls and how much the bulls could feel that whenever they walked around to get food in the city. Um, really fun stories in there. But, um, I think the first person I quote in the book, not quite the first, the second person I quote in the entire book is a bulls player. So, um, (laughs) so it's very prominent throughout the book, that rivalry and kind of the dislike for each other. But thank you again so much for giving me a chance to plug it here.
0: No, I appreciate it. Definitely. Uh, Edward, how about yourself? Any final thoughts um before we wrap up?
1: Uh nothing for me. Uh just thank you to Chris again for uh just breaking so much down with the uh playoffs of course the Bulls, uh talking a lot about his career and uh you know how he's been grinding throughout that. And uh yeah, just really thankful. Uh, just really good thoughts and uh yeah, glad you stopped by. Yeah.
2: Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate yeah, no you problem. guys. Uh, and best of luck with everything that you do.
0: Oh, for sure. Thank you again. So, yeah, that's a wrap for today's show. Don't forget to tune in every Tuesday morning at AM Central on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net radio station and also to the 1252 Sports Entertainment Network. If you missed any previous episodes, you can find us on all major and minor podcast platforms. Please subscribe and rate us a five on Apple Podcasts. Thank you again to Chris Herring for joining us and to the listeners tuning in. Yeah. As always, for Edward Schuler and myself, till next time, Bulls fans.